Good evening, everyone. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, I uh, invite you to turn to Genesis uh, chapter 3. Last uh, Sunday morning, we introduced our new teaching series here at Windsor called Essential Word, which is going to run from January through to December in 2011, both mornings and evenings. And together, as a community on Sundays and then on our own using this book, Essential 100. And if anybody would like a copy of this to follow the series through the entire year, please speak to me afterwards. And if any of you have ordered a copy and not picked it up yet, please, again, speak to me afterwards. But we're using uh, this to sort of make our way right through the Bible, from uh, Genesis to Revelation, from a garden to a city. And the reason we're doing it is in, in order to capture a sense of the single great story which the Bible tells. We said last week that the Bible tells one unfolding story of redemption. And so we as a church have sort of committed ourselves to, and if you were here last Sunday morning, I know a number of people stood uh, to really affirm their commitment to this. But to say we're going to immerse ourselves in the drama of Scripture this year to read God's word if you like with a new resolve through fresh eyes to actually breathe it in to inhale it and last Sunday night uh, we started to read and listen to the story in Genesis 1 as James introduced us to the author to the creative genius and as the curtain goes up on the Genesis stage three spotlights pick out three very important subjects. The first spotlight falls on the maker, who is unique, who is, as James highlighted highlighted last week, unimaginably different from everything else there is, from everything else that he created. In the beginning, God. We thought about who it was, a triune God, because it says, let us make man. Father, Son, and Spirit were there. This triune God who is immensely powerful, good, kind, wise, faithful, holy. And so the key, the central character takes and always should take center stage. But the second spotlight, as the Genesis curtain rises, falls on what he makes. And as you read Genesis 1, you are confronted by this created cosmos which was spoken into being, spoken into existence. And God said, let there be. And this created cosmos is unforgettable and it's spectacular in its beauty, in its diversity, in its unity, in its color, in its texture, in its harmony. Land, seas, Sun, moon, stars, planets, trees, fish, birds, etc. What God makes is stunning. And then the third spotlight falls on us. Human beings who are made, we discover, in the image of God. And I just found what James shared with us last week about that idea of what it means to be made in the image of God so helpful. As a couple of writers say, the most glorious quality of humankind is that we are made in the Creator's own image, reflecting in miniature His inexpressible glory. And you know, no other creature reflects God in this way. This is what sets us apart. This is what makes us unique. It rules out the claim that we are merely part of the animal kingdom. We are made in the image 
of God. But two other important truths are emphasized in Genesis 1 and 2. The first is that we were made to be in relationship with our maker, absolutely, but also with other human beings. It's not good, God said, for man to be alone. Adam needed companionship. And we all do. We all were made for relationship. No man is an island. But also, human beings were made to work and to take care of God's created masterpiece, his world. And so, as the story begins, the stage is set, the scenery is breathtaking, and the characters are all in place. But as we all know, a major feature of any story is its central conflict. And this particular story, our story, the grand story, the meta-narrative, is no different. Something bad happens. And Eugene Peterson describes the central conflict in the drama of Scripture in this way. A catastrophe has occurred. We are no longer in continuity with our good beginning. We've been separated from it by by a disaster. We are also, of course, separated from our good end. We are, in other words, in the middle of a mess. And that mess and that disaster and that catastrophe is the unwelcomed and the uncalled for sin or entrance or intrusion of sin into God's perfect world. And Genesis 3 tells the horror story. And it is. The horror story of what has been often described as the story of the fall. And it's where we turn to this evening. So, as we often do, let's stand for the public reading of God's word. Genesis 3, we're going to read it right through. Now, the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat, from tre- we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die you will not certainly die the snake said to the woman for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom she took some of it and ate it she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it then the eyes of both of them were opened And they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head And you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. 
With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not have eaten of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove them out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Do grab a seat. It kind of seems that, that no sooner has God created, it, it all still feels like it's just been formed whenever out of nowhere, almost, a tragedy of epic and cosmic proportions erupts and it threatens to mar God's goodness of creation forever. And we need to be honest for a moment. This is history. As Genesis 2.4 says, this is the account of. And so what follows according to the narrator, according to the author, really happened. And so it must be and it should be taken seriously. But let's also recognise that the details, like a talking serpent and a symbolic tree of some kind, are unlike the details of any historical text we are used to reading. But even having acknowledged that and taken that into consideration and recognised that, we do believe as a church, and we believe passionately as Christians, that what we find here in the third chapter of the book of Beginnings, the book of Genesis, is a reliable account of the origin of evil. The mysterious origin of evil in God's world. In Genesis 1 and 2, we discover it's good. Life is really good. The environment, relationships, are as we would long for them to be. It's all in harmony. And yet experience tells us that life's not like that anymore. In fact, life is very, very different. We look around us and we see pain. We see brokenness. We see dysfunction. We see division. Life is not as it was meant to be. And Genesis 3 tells us why. In very graphic and disturbing, and it is heartbreaking in its detail. Although there's not as much detail or as much information in it as we might have liked. And the chapter begins by introducing us to a talking snake. Now, where this crafty serpent, and that's, that's how the Bible describes him, it or him, 
Where he comes from or who it is isn't explained at this point. It's only later on in the Bible that we discover that this creature is also known as Satan. So, for example, Revelation 12, the great dragon was hurled down that ancient snake called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. But how could such a creature infiltrate and disrupt God's good creation? It's a great question. And again, We're not told here. And if nothing else, that should make it relatively clear that mystery, and I know it's a word I I often use, and some people struggle with it, but mystery is written all over and surrounds the origin of evil in creation. A mystery that we must take seriously. And so finding or providing a satisfactory rational explanation or reason regarding the origin of evil is always going to be a struggle. It always has been and it always will be. It will leave people with lots of questions. But back to the story. The snake engages the human in conversation by asking a question. But it's a misleading question because he takes something that God did say and he twists it. If you look across at Genesis 2.17, it says there, God had said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from this one tree. That's what God said. But the snake comes along and he frames the question slightly differently. He says, did God really say that you must not eat 